0: Hello. Hi. Welcome to Truly Fabulously Monstrous.
1: A podcast about true crime and weird stuff.
0: I am half of your host, Hattie James. I am your other half of your host, Ace. Hi, Ace. Hi, Hattie. How are you in the 15 minutes it's been since I last saw you? <laughs>
1: I've been good. I got myself a sparkling water. This one is pineapple flavored. Ooh. Lovely. <laughs> some nice uh, asmr slurping for you all yeah okay
0: i'm out of my drink so if i were to try to do that it would just sound like it's the
1: straw sucking noise yes
0: because <laughs> i forgot to fill my drink before we started recording
1: because i am a gremlin oh well you also said that your baby woke up and had to go
0: yeah, so this is a precious thing. And it's
1: pre- <laughs> as you say, as you roll your eyes. <laughs>
0: no, this, this, this actually is precious, but it's one of those, like I started it and it's so cute and I can't like break it because it'll break my heart if we don't do it anymore. I, ever since he was born, yeah. rocking him to sleep. Uh, I'd say like, good night, my sweet prince. I love you. Have sweet baby dreams. I'll see you in the morning. Promises, promises. And mommy never, ever, ever breaks her promise. And now I forgot to say that tonight and he was crying and I went in there and I laid him back down. I put the blanket back over him and I said that and caressed his cheek. He went right to bed.
1: That's so sweet. Oh, enjoy that while he still likes it because one day he'll be a surly teenager and he will not want you to say that.
0: I know. (laughs) And it breaks my heart, the thought of having to ever stop it. But at the same time, I'm at the place where it's like, now if I forget to say it or if I'm not home for bedtime, he's not going to bed.
1: Oh,
0: And I always have the fear. It's like, what if I have to like leave before he wakes up and I do break and mommy does break her promise. Aww. So like I do, I've got that, um, that dread <laughs> in my life. I actually did have to leave once I had to go to work and him and the husband were home because uh, husband was working from home that day. So Harbinger couldn't go to daycare because um, that's their rules. And my dad couldn't take him that day. So there was no reason to wake him up when he was naturally sleeping. When, like before, so just so I could say right. before I went. So what my husband did is my husband um, video called me. So the first thing that oh, the Harbinger saw when he woke up was mommy sweet. on the phone. Yeah, that's so. We haven't had to break the the promise yet.
1: I don't remember if my parents ever like had a specific thing they said when they would tuck me in at night. I just remember just wanting them to just physically be there, like actually tucking me in. And I do remember several times uh being too enthusiastic about trying to get a good night kiss and headbutting my father directly in the teeth it's I okay, remember was doing dentist. it at least yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing it at least three times which means I probably did it much much more than that but like three times I very vividly remember just bam right in the teeth we should so probably I, get to the okay to the... uh so today I'm here to tell you about the crime I'm going to apologize in advance for probably going to mispronounce almost everything in here because it's set in Italy in the 1500s, and I didn't look up how to pronounce any of this. Today I'm going to tell you about Mariana de Levia e Marino, yes, yes. also known as the Nun of Monza, and her lover, Count Giovanni Paolo Osio. Osio, you, you just made me very happy. Okay, so you know what I'm going to talk about. I know
0: the anit like I know the abridged version, so I'm okay, looking cool. forward to your your notes.
1: Mariana de Leva was born December 4th, 1575, in Milan, Italy, to Martino de Leva and Virginia Maria Marino. Uh, some notes on her parents: Virginia Maria Marino was the widow of Ercole Pio the Count of Sassuolo and the great-granddaughter of Antonio de Leyva, who was given the title of the County of Monza from Charles V for his service to the crown. She was the daughter and direct heir of the richest man in Milan, the banker Tommaso Marino. And then her father, Antonio de Leyva, had inherited the County of Monza as the great-nephew of Antonio de Leyva. So he and Virginia were cousins... Martino was the second son of Louis de Leva, Prince of Asola, who was an army captain and the first Spanish governor of Milan. So Mariana was born into a very wealthy and politically powerful family. When she was only a year old, her mother died and she was thrust into a long trial for her inheritance at a year old that's that's a hell of a thing to deal with when you're when you're a year old that's rough that's rough ultimately the trial for her inheritance was not ruled in her favor but her mother had wanted to give half of her possessions to mariana and then the other half to her first son marco pio who was her first child from her first marriage that had left her a widow her will was then contested by marco's sisters who had been left out of virginia's will completely kind of sucky but like, yeah. after this, Mariana's father, not wanting to or not being able to care for an infant, sent Mariana to be raised by her aunt, leaving him free to continue pursuing his business of being rich and in charge of the county of Monza. When Mariana turned 13, her father must have remembered that she existed and decided <laughs> <laughs> and decided that the best course of action for his just barely a teenage daughter was for her to become a nun. So... She was forced into the convent at the monastery of St. Margaret and Monza in March of 1589. And that was the last time she saw her father in person. Her her father did say that he would leave her an inheritance of 6,000 lira, to be given to her by a family friend. But I can't really find any uh, real solid info beyond the Wikipedia page. Well, I probably could if I could read Italian, because a lot of the sources I found were in Italian, and Google Translate is terrible. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so this family friend claims to have never received this money to pass on to Mariana, so whether or not Martino ended up leaving his daughter any inheritance or whether the family friend just never passed along the money is unclear. But either way, Mariana was not that hard up for money as she did receive a steady income from yearly revenues of the monastery for being a nun. That's, I feel think a lot of people know that. You do get paid for being a nun, just like you get paid for being a priest. Like you're paid How by... Do I do know that. So even though she was forced into the nunnery business at the age of 13, Mariana seems to have taken pretty well to the nun life after two years of being a novice. In August of 1591, she took the name of Sister Virginia Maria after her mother and was consecrated into full sisterhood along with her three other sisters.
0: That's so nice.
1: Yeah. Um, I will say what drew me to this case is that Virginia Marie is the name of someone very close to me in my family. (laughs) And I was like, Virginia Marie? What? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So she became a very highly respected nun in the convent. She was a role model for the younger novices, and she was described by her contemporaries as modest, respectful, and obedient, and that she befriended everybody easily and enjoyed reading as much as possible. So by all accounts, she was just living her best nun life. So she gained popularity throughout the county of Monza during this time, both inside the convent and outside the monastery with the public, because her family, being very well known, um, she already had some like minor connections that she was probably able to use to help the Monastery of St. Margaret to remain well-funded. She had also taken on duties in the county of Monza that involve administering property revenues, as well as taking part in the justice system. So she was very pious. She was a pious and modest nun who was involved in her community. She was a good Catholic girl. So in uh, 1579, she's now in her early 20s. She was acting as a teacher at the convent school for girls. And it was during this period that she met Count Giovanni Paolo asio who was living in a house next to the monastery. Now Giovanno Paolo Ascio was far from the pious exemplary company that someone of Mariana's modest humble nun behavior would dictate that she spend time with. He was a bit of a philanderer. He liked the ladies and sowing his wild oats. He also had been accused of murder before. He was women, of...
0: wine and <laughs> reckless abandon.
1: <laughs> PWs. Yes. None of that mattered to Mariana eventually, because he initiated contact with her. He started writing her letters and her first response to those letters were, how dare you, sir? I'm a nun. And you come in here with all of your lustful, lusty feelings. I am a nun. He was persistent though. And he just, uh, he like, changed. He got some advice from a friend and was like, how do I woo this nun? And their friend was like, maybe don't go super hardcore with how much you want to bang her right away. (laughs) Like, maybe try complimenting her intelligence a little bit. (laughs) So he adjusted his letter writing and he was persistent and she was 22 and had never known a man and had never known a man and was in that 22, uh, young and stupid age when he was hot and she eventually (laughs) fell hard for old Asio. And she began reciprocating the letters that he sent, and uh, they were delivered to his garden through a rope lowered from the window in the monastery. How
0: romantic. How romantic.
1: Their affair graduated from exchanging letters to the more physical, naughty things. Uh, Asio obtained the help of a local blacksmith to make a set of duplicate keys to the monastery that would let him sneak into Mariana's rooms unnoticed on the regular. Not that this meant that their affair was secret. There were several other nuns and at least one priest, a friend of Osio's named Paolo Aragoni, who knew about the affair. Uh, not only did they not say anything or intervene in any way, they routinely helped Mariana and Osio organize their clandestine meetings. They were the wingmen. They were like, I mean, yeah, we will help you get it.
0: I mean, it was probably like, how do I word this?
1: They were bored. It was
0: probably, yeah, it was probably like the best form of entertainment.
1: They were like, let's help this nun get it. In an article on medium.com, I read the line, Virginia Maria officially stopped being a Virginia, which is a distasteful joke, but I still laughed at it. And that makes me a trash person. (laughs) So the affair went on for years. uh, The duplicate keys allowing them both to sneak in and out of the monastery whenever they pleased. However, the good times couldn't last forever. And in 1602, at the age of 27, Mariana gave birth to a stillborn baby. Oh no. It was very sad. After this incident, Mariana cut off the affair. She was like, absolutely not. Nope, 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 nope. Gotta get back in that good graces with the Lord.
0: I, if, if Catholic culture at this time was anything like evangelical culture is now, then she was probably convinced that the, the stillborn was like her fault like it was the the punishment because That was the yep I feel bad for her. She probably yeah. had a lot of like a lot of mixed feelings, a lot of conflicted feelings and a lot of guilt and that like oh that must suck.
1: Yeah. Uh she was also during this time plagued by periods of depression and some sources indicated she also uh suffered from some suicidal tendencies during this time. So yeah, it was all around not a good time for Mariana. However, their affair did not stay ended, and before long, Mariana and Osio had resumed their affair. However, Mariana, now she's dealing with this grief over her baby that she lost, as well as with all that good Catholic guilt that you're gonna get with breaking all the rules about being a nun. Rule number one, nuns don't have sex. Rule number two, go back and read number one again. <laughs> like, So Mariana starts trying to turn her lust for Osio into revulsion for him. And what better way to try and kill all the desire to see someone naked than engaging in good old coprophagia?
0: I'm sorry, you're going to have to define that for me.
1: I may have mispronounced it. Uh, Coprophagia?
0: Shit eating. Google it. I'm just, what? Shit eating.
1: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No. Uh, That's right, folks. In order to try and not feel sexy thoughts about her lover, Mariana decided the best course of action was to eat his literal shit. Whether she mixed it into her tea and drank it or used, dried it and used it as seasoning on her food. Weirdly, it did not have the intended effect of making her disgusted enough to stop having an affair with this man. In fact, it didn't work so much that in 1603, a year later, she gave birth to another baby. This baby lived. Okay. A, a baby girl named Alma Francesca Margarita. But she
0: wouldn't have been able to keep the baby.
1: No, she uh, she couldn't show up at the nun meetings going, hey, what's up? Here's my kid. Can she sit in on the nun business? No, Alma went to live with her father. When she was two years old, he uh, legally acknowledged her as an illegitimate daughter and he adopted her, so. I don't know what happened to her later though because he gets into some stuff. I didn't read about any of it. I I just know that all the sources, they're like, well, her father adopted her. I'm like, yeah, but what about later? You know, what with all the other stuff?
0: I don't know. I don't know.
1: I do not know what happens to Alma. Um, I'll just say that right now. I do not know. I did not do enough research into that because I could only find so many sources that I could translate enough so that they were readable or that they were in English to begin with because I do not speak Italian, um, in 1606, the subterfuge and the secrecy must have started annoying some of the sisters in the convent. And one of the sisters, Sister Caterina, approached the couple and threatened that she was going to go to the authorities and tell them about the affair that had been happening under the convent and monastery's roofs and let them know that Mariana wasn't loyal to God. So in order to protect his lover, Osio got rid of the threat to the affair in the manner he figured would be the best way to permanently get rid of the problem. Aided by Mariana. Murder! Murder, That's right! Aided by Mariana and several of the other sisters, Osio snuck into Sister Caterina's room at night and killed her with a single blow to the head while she slept. Then, with the help of the nuns, he took Caterina's body next door, where he proceeded to decapitate her body. He concealed her body in the cellar of the monastery and he threw her head into a nearby empty well. Mariana proceeded to then threaten all the other nuns involved in the complicity of this affair that they would face the same fate if they ever decided that they wanted to talk either about the affair or now about this murder that they were all complicit in. (laughs) Woo, friendship. Uh, They covered up the disappearance of Sister Katerina by telling outsiders that she had just run away from the convent. People bought that. However, rumors spread like rumors do. And before long, whispers about nefarious goings-on spread outside the convent and- Osio wound up killing two more people, the blacksmith who had duplicated the keys so that he and Mariana could conduct their affair, and also a local druggist who may have been involved in supplying Mariana with uh, a board of herbs at one point, Uh, both of whom were a little bit too open in their gossiping, so is like, hey, guess what? I'm going to kill you now. So... This, weirdly enough, did not stop the spreading of the rumors. In fact, it led to some new rumors.
0: No way! <laughs> no way!
1: And before long, the governor of Milan was made aware of all the fishy goings-on in this convent in his district, and he ordered an investigation. So, at this point, Asio, Mariana, and all of their complicit enablers, including several nuns, and Asio's priest friend, Father Aragoni, were arrested in 1607. Asio escaped from imprisonment when went on the run. Uh, During this time on the run, he snuck back to where the other nuns who had been complicit in the affair were being held as they awaited questioning and he broke them out of prison and he forced them to flee with him. He took sisters, Ottavia and uh, Benedetta with him on the run so as to keep them from spilling what they had witnessed to the authorities. And as they made their way along the walls of the city on a path by the river Lambro, he at one point pushed sister Ottavita into the river. As she was struggling in the water, he struck her in the head and hands with the butt of his gun. She pretended to be dead in order to float downstream away. She was smart. She was like, I should pretend to be dead so I can float away, float far away downstream. And when she was far enough away, she crawled out of the river onto the banks and made her way to a local church and where she was able to make a full confession of everything before she passed away from her injuries. Osio continued fleeing with Sister uh, Benedetta until they reached an abandoned country house on the outskirts of the city. Here, he locked her in the house where she remained for two days. He brought her food, but she refused to eat it in the likelihood that it was poisoned. And after two days, he brought her out of the house and forced her to continue their journey until they came to an empty well, which he then pushed her into. In the fall, she injured her left leg and then uh, he threw a large rock down into the well after her, which then broke her right leg. So she... (laughs) thinking quickly, uh, kind of gathered some surrounding stones to build a protective barrier for her head, which was smart. And then she lay still so that he might think her dead and move on. She remained in the well for two more days, during which time she found in the well with her a human skull, because this was the same well that Osio had thrown Katerina's head into. And (laughs) yes, uh, fun two days in that well she had, I'm sure. Uh, On Sunday, when there were villagers... From a nearby village passing by to church, she was able to call out for help and was retrieved from the well and brought to the house of a local where she made, again, made a full confession and in time made a full recovery and was returned to her old convent where she was sentenced to be incarcerated. After all of this, Osio was still on the run and he was never recaptured. So the church and the courts decided that he was to be tried and given a death sentence in absentia. He was never caught, but not too long after this, he was killed by an acquaintance. So his death sentence inevitably was. Yeah. Good. They sentenced him to be gibbeted. I don't think his acquaintance did that, but he did behead him.
0: Can you explain <laughs> to the class what gibbeted means?
1: Oh, uh, gibbet is, it's they either put your dead body in it or if they want to put you in it when you're alive, but it's basically a big old cage that is hung from the, the top of the church where then, like, birds will come and, like, peck at you, basically. Oh, yeah, I know what example. that is. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like, here's the gibbet. there's the guy in it that we killed, don't be like that guy. So, he was killed by an acquaintance, it was like, he had gone on the run for a while, and he came back and was, like, staying with a friend, and there was the warrant that was out for him, that was like, hey, we need this guy to, like, pay for his crimes, and uh, he was like, hey, buddy, don't turn me in, and his friend was like, I'm not gonna turn you in, I am gonna kill you, though. So. <laughs> As for Mariana, when the Archbishop uh, Federico Moremo was made aware of the scandal of a nun in one of his parishes from a, very, a wealthy, socially powerful family being involved not only in a torrid sexual affair, but also involved in the murder of a fellow nun and of a local merchant, he stepped in and ordered a canonical trial for Mariana. Mariana's defense was that her behavior stemmed from the loss of free will and being overcome by diabolical forces causing her to become impulsive.
0: I mean, she probably thought that's what was happening. Yeah. About Catholic guilt
1: and all. Yep. In addition to Mariana, Father Paolo Aragone was also interrogated as to his role in the cover-up of uh, both the affair and the murder. You might be wondering to yourself, but Ace, did the interrogation of Mariana and Paolo Aragone involve torture? To which I say, it's Italy in the 1600s. Of course they used torture.
0: No, this is the thing. Was it it torture or did did it say that they were tortured or they were exposed to torturous instruments? Because sometimes what they would do is they would do something called exposing where they would bring them in and like show them the devices. And they would just just go, I cave, I cave, I cave, I cave. They did that a lot to women. They did that a lot to women because they didn't want to torture women. I
1: read uh, read sources that said both. I think what it was is that the priest was tortured. And I think that they did the exposure to torture to Mariana. Like, you're right, I think, because I saw sources that said both. So I'm going to split the difference and say they tortured the dude. They threatened to torture the nun. I was wondering when I was reading through all these notes, I was wondering why they leaned so hard on the priest, because a lot of the sources I found said stuff like, oh, and there was a priest that helped them be sneaky about the affair. But eventually I found a book that went into some more detail Father uh, Aragoni didn't just know about the affair and cover it up. He was deeply, deeply, deeply involved in helping them be successful in their sneakiness. He was the friend that instructed Osio how to write the letters that would like i yeah. like i said but like when his first letters were like hey you sexy nun let's bang uh, father he's like maybe don't write that
0: and just speculating could they also have held him because like he was the spiritual leader he was the priest probably. of the monastery yeah. he needed to to protect them and, and be a good guiding moral example and not help them bang their lovers
1: yes probably also that yeah. <laughs> like jesus didn't want this <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I think Jesus may have wanted <laughs> Jesus may have been like, that's cool. <laughs> uh, so when Mariana began reciprocating Osio's affair, Aragona used his position as a priest. He used his position as a priest to gain access to the convent to speak with Mariana through the guise of the confessional screen in order to like hype up his good friend, Osio. Yeah. In the early stages of the affair, when Mariana was still like resistant to breaking the rules of cloister to meet with her lover aragone uh supplied her with like church writings that said while it was sinful for a nun to leave the convent there was no sin involved in a man entering the same convent
0: oh so he manipulated her in order to get her yeah
1: and that's what led to mariana approving the creation of the spare keys that would let Osio sneak into the convent so yeah he was like he was involved in this affair
0: he after, orchestrated the affair yeah
1: he kind of did so after his torture and his trial Aragone was given the sentence of two years labor at the galleys after which he was to be exiled from Monza which I would say is a pretty light sentence considering some of the other punishments that the 1600s Italy liked to dole out to people that was they yeah. were like two years hard labor and then get the fuck out of here and don't come back mariana herself was given the sentence of perpetual incarceration in the form of uh, saint valeria in milan where she would be walled in uh oh that's
0: is, what they did to elizabeth blathery
1: yeah confined to a room uh, the door would be bricked over with only an opening big enough for food and water to be delivered and a small opening in the wall for fresh air and light to come in She uh she was walled in for 13 years and then she was released from the small cell due to good behavior and repentance. She would remain in the convent for the rest of her life, having become a model figure for many novices in the convent until her death in 1650. But yeah, that's the story of the nun of Monza. But you know, when I was when I first started reading about this, everything made it sound that they're like, oh, check out this wacky nun. She ate her lover's shit. And I'm like yeah but her lover was the one who did all the murdering she was just there going i i guess yeah we could murder the okay sure she got a worse sentence than the priest
0: who manipulated her into it and helped cover up everything
1: yeah that sucks this really yeah like the 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 more i went into it i was the more i was like oh i this poor woman oh my god this really sucks so, my sources for this obviously, Wikipedia. There was a chapter, the book I found, I found on um, Project Gutenberg. For, the book was Renaissance in Italy, The Catholic Reaction by John Addington Simmons. And the chapter was just called The Lady of Monza. An article from oliviosantabarbara.com, The Nun of Monza. The Medium.com article by Maria Milajokovic. This nun got pregnant twice, terrified other sister, and convived in murders. Uh, historycollection.com article by Khalid Alaysan, Bonkers Crimes and Criminals in History, and then the podcast, The Casual Criminalist, short episode just called The Nun's Tale. Those were my sources. There were other sources that I found that I really wish I could have gotten like a better translation software because I'm sure they had a lot more information, but they were all in Italian and all I had was Google Translate and it really did not do a good job. (laughs)
0: I liked it you did a good job even thank with you. the lack of translating stuff <laughs> yay thank you I don't like I don't like
1: that <laughs> no one likes it
0: <laughs> but it's a captivating story
1: yeah I'd be interested to know like how much of that like that her father like had lived long enough to know about or if he just was like la 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 I have to go to business. trap la la. <laughs>
0: did you find anything about like when he died
1: uh no because anytime i would google him it just pulled up stuff about her i'm just gonna do a quick google search and see
0: if i can see what i can find oh i found a whole wikipedia page on the deleva family martino deleva consort virginia maria blah blah blah, and then it says note virginia was the mother of mariana anna louis ii antonio ii and Gerolamo, almo and then it talks about mariana deleva Okay, this says that he was only the count till sixteen hundred and that she was technically so apparently she was like the co count with all of her mm. siblings. She stopped being the count when she was walled up in sixteen o seven yeah, so
1: that would explain why she was involved in all of the justice and stuff and what
0: yeah, yeah, I, I just looked you up don't get the... to be
1: count when you're walled up in a convent
0: nope. <laughs> You don't get to help with, with law and order when you are, in fact, serving time for law and order.
1: <laughs> so where can people find us?
0: If people, if you lovely listeners, would like to email us your questions, comments, concerns, stories, sweet nothings, you may do so by emailing us at trulyfabulouslymonstrous at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram, trulyfabulouslymonstrous.
1: And if you would like to look us up on Twitter, we are on there at TFABMonsterPod.
0: So tune in next time when Ace tells a weird. A weird. A, a weird. Yes. Yes. We'll be there and we hope you will too. Bye. Bye.